So Jesus is up a mountain. He's gathered his friends around him. And uh, a bit like we're here today. And he's here to teach them his way. And so what we get in Matthew's gospel is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is up the mountain and he's teaching his disciples, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to follow the Jesus way, the Jesus path. And at the very end of this sermon, he, he, he's, he's given them all these teachings. He's talked about forgiveness and um, about what it means to bear with one another in love. And he's talked to them about turning the other cheek. And then he gets to the very end of the sermon where we're going to be in about 60 minutes time. I'm only joking. And he says to them, there are two paths, he says. It's the climactic moment of the sermon. There are two paths. So it gives them this image. On the one hand is a broad path, what he calls an easy path. And on the other hand is this narrow path. And he says, he calls his, his friends, his disciples on the mountain. He says, you need to enter the narrow gate because the broad path is easy to get onto. It's easy to get onto, it's easy to stay onto, and it leads to destruction to despair, to hopelessness, to loss. Whereas the narrow path is difficult to get onto, difficult to stay on, but when you're on it, it leads to life, he says. It leads to life. And so Jesus' call is, get on the narrow path, stay on the narrow path. And then he gives them this image of trees. Two trees, he says, one that bears good fruit, one that bears bad fruit. How do you know a good tree, he says? You know a good tree because it has good fruit, ripe fruit. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we have this language of fruit to talk about gifts or character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. The fruit, the good fruit that springs from life. Jesus is inviting his disciples into this way of life. And he's saying, choose the narrow path, stay on the narrow path. So here's the question today. Paths and trees. How do you get on the path and how do you stay on the path? How do you get on the path and how do you stay on the path that leads to life? And how do you be that sort of tree that produces good fruit? That's the question I want to look at this morning. How do you get on the path? How do you stay on the path? I'm going to talk a little bit about Apple and I'm going to talk about car adverts and then I'm going to be done. So let's get going. How do you get on and stay on the path? Now, in our culture, the dominant way of thinking about how you get on the path and stay on the path is that it's all about what is going on in here, in your head. It's all about head knowledge, information, data. The difference between somebody on this path and somebody on this path is that the person on this path thinks differently. They have a new understanding. And so in the Christian church, we talk a lot about belief or faith or doctrines. And this person has understood everything that needs to be understood. And so they're on the path. Whereas this person has somehow uh, lost something of that, not quite understood. So a few hundred years ago, Rene Descartes, worrying about his own existence, says, I think, therefore I am. Cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. And he's asking this question, how do I know that I exist? How do I know that I am real? How do I know that I am that I am? And his answer was, I know it because I think. And essentially what Descartes did was establish this way of thinking about the human person, the human being, by saying that what makes us human is what we think, what goes on in our heads. What makes you you and not someone else? What gives you your specific identity is what you think. That's what it is 
to be a human being. A human being is a thinking thing. And so our education system is shaped around this, this concept that Descartes put forward, which has dominated our cultural way of understanding the human person. Um, so as educators, what we do is we take somebody, a child, who at the, that point in time does not have information data in their head that they need to have, and then we put new information data, and there's almost this image of like pouring information into an empty head, into an empty vessel. And as they go down that process, they'll come out at the end an educated person. And they're educated because they've had the right stuff put in their head, the right data put in their head. And as Christians, this Jesus thing, sometimes we imagine that that's what it is to follow Jesus as well. To be on this path and not this path is about right information about right data. So we'll run a Christianity Explore course or an Alpha course or whatever it is. And what we're doing there is giving people right information, new data. And at the end of it, hopefully they'll be educated enough, have the, and the good enough understanding of the data that they'll be able to say yes to it. And so being a Christian then is about this kind of like um, assent to knowledge, saying yes to that way of understanding what it is to be human. Yes, that's what I want. And it all goes on in the head. Or to develop as a Christian, to grow, to, to carry on this path of discipleship, to move from here to hear, to be a tree that bears good fruit. What do we do? We go to the Christian bookstore, we go on Amazon and we buy that next Christian book. Because if only we could have the next piece of data, the new piece of information, then we would grow into the people that we're called to be. What is it to be a human? What is it to flourish as a human being? What is it to know Jesus? It is what goes on in our head. And as long as we get the right stuff in our head, we will move down the path. We will get on and we will stay on the path. But, but, what, what if there's a different way of understanding what it is to be a human? What, what if there's a way of understanding what it is to be human which is much less about what you think? And we know this, right? We, we know this deep within us. Ha, have you ever felt a disjuncture between what you know and what you do? A kind of gap between what you think and the way that you behave, right? And I'm, I'm looking out, and I, I'm asked that as a rhetorical question, but I'm hoping that the answer is yes. Right? I, I know that too many fatty foods are bad for me. Right? I know that it's everywhere. It's on TV. It's on adverts. My doctor tells me I should be careful what I eat. And yet, after eating the first bag of crisps, I'll open the second bag. Right? For me, it's crisps. I don't know what it is for you. I know that I function better as a dad, as a husband, as a person if I've had enough sleep. I know that to be true. I know that my tomorrow will be better if today I went to sleep on time. And yet it gets to 10.30 or 11. You know, I pour another glass of wine, wait for the Netflix thing to count down, another episode of House of Cards come on, whatever it is. Or I know that I need to be present with my kids, right? Not just, not just with them, not just sort of carving out time in the diary and saying, yeah, I'll be there back at home at this time or this day. But when I am there, to be present, you know? Like really with them, attentive, listening. And yet, at the dinner table, I get out my phone and I check the cricket scores or the football scores or whatever it happens to be. Right? I know what I should be doing. I know what I ought to be doing, and yet my behavior speaks of something else. Now think of somebody who smokes, right? He's got an addiction to smoking. What I'm suggesting is that the way you're not going to stop smoking, you're not going to break that addiction, is by new information. 
right? New data, you know, the cigarette packet with the pictures on it or new information about cancer victims or the statistics or whatever it is, it is not alone going to help you stop smoking. It might help. It might be part of the journey. And listen, what I want to say this morning is that thinking is so, so significant. We are called to think, right? In Romans, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Whatever it looks like to be on the path and stay on the path, it's got a lot to do with thinking properly, right? Learning how to think in a wise, constructive, beautiful way. Learning to think like Jesus might think. Learning to think like the scriptures might think. But if you're going to break that habit, if you're going to break that addiction to smoking, it's not going to be just through data. It's going to be through something else. The Alcoholics Anonymous have this phrase, and I love this phrase. It's so significant. The Alcoholics Anonymous, when you gather in at that first session, the Alcoholics Anonymous have this phrase, and they say, your best thinking got you here. Your best thinking got you here. The reason you are here, the reason you have this addiction the reason that um, it's been destructive enough in your life, for your family, for you as an individual, that you have come to this place to seek help is not because you didn't think hard enough. Right? You're not going to think your way out of this. You're, the, the best way that you thought led you to this point, there's something else going on in your life, some other power, some other force, which has led you to act in the ways that you acted. It's not down to thought or lack of. And so what I want to suggest this morning is what if rather than being driven by what we think, rather than what we think being the thing that keeps us on the path, gets us on the path, what if actually what gets us on there, keeps us on there, is what we love? What if to be a human is not to think? What if to be a human is to love? In the book of Proverbs it says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything we do Everything we are flows from our heart, not from our head, from our heart, from our loves. Now, our culture knows this really well. Right? Um, if you think about a car advert, just think for a moment about a car advert. What you don't see on car adverts is loads of information, loads of detail. Right? You, don't, you don't sort of, the advert is not just a list of like, you know, fuel economy, a number of seats, whatever. I'm not very good with cars, so I don't know what else other information you'd have. But what the car advert has is a vision of what your life could be like. Right? Can you, you picture a car advert? So, you, you know, you've probably got a good, very good-looking man or woman getting into this beautifully clean, shiny car. There's no, um, there's no sort of kid's vomit over the back seat or whatever. They get into this car and they drive through this mountain range, through the snow or whatever, through a forest. And it, what the car advert is saying to you or shouting at you is, if you had this car, this is the life you could have. You're in control. Um, it's clean. It's powerful. You have respect. It's beautiful. Right? What they're trying to do is not capture your mind, not capture your thinking. They're trying to capture your heart. Or the, the other great example of this, and the company which does this so well is Apple. If you think about going to um, uh, the Apple store, I don't know if you've been to an Apple store. Anybody been to an Apple store? Yeah, great, most of you. The temple, the modern temple of humanity, the Apple store. And when you go into an Apple store, it's, isn't it just a thing of beauty? It's just, the lines are so clean, everything is white, shiny. Um, you just want to, it just invites you in, you want to 
touch everything, you want to feel everything, you want to, and again, what they're trying to do there, you, the other thing, there's, again, there's so, such little information, you know, and all the information is so small on those little sort of boards next to the computers or whatever, so small, so, so tiny, because what they're trying to draw you into there is a way of life. This could be your life. Imagine if you had this computer, or imagine if you had this device, right? This is what your life could be like. I um, heard a story the other day about a guy who um, got a new <laughs> Apple laptop and uh, he, he got home and he had this kind of um, opening ceremony, you know, this, <laughs> this thing of, you know, you get a new computer and you open, everyone sits around and you open the box and it's like, oh, and uh, he, there was this moment, he says, where he, he got out the power lead and literally like they were passing round the power lead in this strange ceremony of sort of smelling, touching the power lead. It's, it's a vision that captures your heart. It's not so much about your head. It's an aesthetic thing. It's, it's, it's about what you love, what you desire, what your passions are. I w not I think this is the best computer. I want this computer. Now, in a world before Apple, if you can imagine such a thing, even before Steve Jobs, uh, the first Christians understood something of this truth quite deeply. There was a, a theologian called Augustine who wrote about 300 years after Jesus. And Augustine wrote this little book called The Confessions, and it was his life story or his testimony, his kind of journey through life. And um, in that book, he tells how he moved essentially from being um, somebody who didn't follow Jesus to being somebody who did follow Jesus. And Augustine in that book says, he says, my weight is my love. He says, wherever I am carried, my love is carrying me. So he had this strong understanding that we are constantly on this movement through life. And, and what carries us through life is what we love. It, it's a bit like we're being drawn to something, Augustine says. That we, we each have a vision, right? something that we're working towards, a goal, something we want to attain, a hope, something that we want. Right? And, and, and there's a sense, if we, f if we can ha only have that thing, then our lives will be complete. And we've been driven through life. And so Augustine is basically saying, you know, if you want to understand what it is to be a human, um, don't ask people what they think. Ask people what they want. You know, everybody thinks something. Uh, you, you go into a room of politicians, right? And some think this, some think that. Some think left, some think right. And all the spectrum in between. And, but if you really want to understand... If you really want to understand who they are, ask them what they want. What is it they think about when they lie down at night? Right? What gets them up in the morning? What motivates them to do this? You know, what is it that they love? Because it won't, it'll be slightly different from what they think. They're, often their thinking will flow out of what it is that they want. And when you understand what they want, what their vision is for the, for the nation, or what their vision is for their own life, you will understand what it is that motivates them. And Augustine is saying we are all no different. We all have something that we aspire to achieve, something we want to attain. He says, we all have some vision of the good life. We all have some something that we want to get hold of. And Augustine, very, very famously in the middle of that book, says, he, he prays this prayer. The whole book is almost a prayer. And he says, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. What he's saying is, because we are created by God, ultimately, we will only ever be satisfied, we'll only ever be happy, if the thing that we long to attain is God, if the thing that's pulling us through life is God. Man, do I, do I need to be reminded of that this morning? Do we need to be reminded of that this morning? That ultimately, 
what it is to be human is to be motivated by a vision of the good and what I need to see is a vision of God and be motivated by him to, to be satisfied only in him. As the deer pants for the water, the psalmist said, so my soul thirsts after you, God. Night and day I cry out to you, he says in the psalm. We need to be reminded that whatever it is we're, we're seeking that we think will make us happy, if only we could do this, if only we could have this, if only I could marry this person then, if only I could look this way then, if only I could live there then, if only I could have that house then. And what we need to be reminded is ultimately what satisfies is God and God alone. And what's, what's really interesting about Augustine's story is that for Augustine, you know, he, he knew, he understood Christianity. That wasn't his issue. The, the data, the information wasn't the issue. He knew Christianity really well. He, he had spent time with Christians who were practicing Christianity well. Who, he had seen it lived properly. He had a mum who was a Christian who constantly tried to sort of bring him back to Christianity. He understood the doctrines. It, there's, there's points in the book he says where he, he used to go and like debate about God. You know, is God real or whatever? And what he said he found himself was like arguing on the side of Christianity. He didn't believe it, but he found himself arguing for Christians because he just said everything else, the, all the other arguments just seemed so ridiculous. So he was arguing for Christianity. He was that good. He could out-argue the best Christian thinkers. And yet, he said, even though I knew it, I didn't want it. And there's this, there's this very famous bit in the book where, um, for Augustine, his, um, his issue, the thing that he desired most of all, he says, was essentially sexual fulfillment, sexual pleasure. And he says his whole life was basically, when he, when he thought about it, what he was living for was to be fulfilled sexually in, in all of the ways that that played out. And he says... You know, I, I, just, I just didn't want the alternative. I wanted that more than I wanted God. And so he says this prayer, he says, you know, God, I got to a point where I said, God, make me pure, but not yet. Right? I know what the right thing is. I know what I should have. I know what I ought to have. I just don't want it. And so what he realized was he needed to be captivated. He needed to be pulled by a vision of God that just shattered everything else that he wanted. You know, where he thought he could find his fulfillment in sexual pleasure. He wanted a vision of God that just shattered that so that all he desired, all he wanted was God. So Jesus stands on a mountain and he offers his disciples these two paths, the narrow path and the narrow gate, difficult, hard, or the broad path that's easy. He says, you know, you're, all, you're on one of those paths. You're always on one of those paths. He's saying you're going in one direction, you're either going this way or you're going that way. We're all being pulled by something. We're all on a journey. And what Jesus is saying is be on the narrow path. And what I want to say this morning is to get on that path and to stay on that path rather than on the broad path is not about willpower. It's not about thinking the right things predominantly. It's being captivated by a vision of God that we are pulled along that path. When we were praying this morning before the service, Josh had a picture of magnets so, you know, there's this big magnet and these little pieces of metal being pulled towards this magnet. And I, I just thought, yes, what a pertinent image for us this morning. That God is like this magnet and we are these pieces of metal. And that, you know, the pieces of metal do not get themselves to the magnet. The power is all in the magnet itself. The magnet pulls the pieces of metal. And so what if being a Christian, what if we need to think about being a Christian, not so much about willpower, about thought power, about getting to God by thinking right, 
by reading another book or going to another conference or praying harder or working harder? And what if we thought about being a Christian as being pulled, not being pushed, not pushing ourselves along a path, but being pulled by God? Last night we were um, traveling back from um, a week camping um, as part of uh, HTB's Focus Away Week. And uh, it was an amazing week for all sorts of reasons. And um, brilliant. But it was damp. It was wet through the whole week. And as someone said to me who came along halfway through, they said that, you know, the thing with camping is when it's sunny, it's amazing. It's like nothing else. And when it's rainy, it's the worst. And uh, it was raining. And we set off uh, late last night to get back for Sunday because I was so um, desperate to be with you this morning to um, see you guys and share this word with you. And uh, so we set off late last night and everything was damp, everything was wet and we were just so keen to get home. It was quite late. And the thing you should know about my family is we have a little baby called Huck who is about 13 weeks old and he um, hates the car. And honestly, from the moment we, it was about a three hour journey from where we were to, to Nottingham. And from the moment we put him in the car to the moment we got back to Nottingham, he screamed like, literally every minute he was screaming and so it was a pretty uh, grim journey back <laughs> back home last night and I just remember driving the car and just like longing to get home and everything was wet and we were cold and you just had this vision of like being in a warm bed and asleep and no baby screaming in your ear and there's one point where Vicky my wife just turned around and grabbed a blanket from the back seat I don't know if she was cold or she, I think she just wanted to cover her head from the screaming to be honest and uh, she just she just turned to me and she just said well the blanket's damp and I, I just thought I was reflecting on it last night as I was driving and I thought what is it that's getting me home here and I remember like looking for the signs to Nottingham you know like just looking for that word Nottingham on a sign because if you saw that word you knew you were close and I thought what is it here which is getting me home. Well, in some ways, what was getting me home was the car, you know, and the petrol and the engine. But really what was getting me home, what was getting me through that mile and the next mile and the next mile and the next mile and the next mile, what was getting me there was a vision of home. What was getting me there was that I knew in my heart I needed to be home. I knew my kids needed to be home. I knew that Vicky needed to be home and I needed to get there. What if becoming a mature Christian, and you know, be careful how I use that word, but what if becoming a Christian, what if becoming a follower of Jesus is simply about becoming a people who need to be home? What if, about it's, what if it's becoming a people who need God, who know that that's where they'll be satisfied, who know that that's where they'll be happy, who know that that's where they'll find rest and peace and joy, and therefore they desire him? What if being a Christian is not just about knowing God, but about wanting God? What if it's not just strategizing and planning for the kingdom to come, but wanting the kingdom to come? What if it's about not just hoping that God is going to fulfill our desires, but desiring him, letting him be not a means to an end, but the end itself? We want to be a people, we want to be a church which first and foremost hungers for God. And the scriptures use that word, hunger or thirst, because they want to say that this is almost like a physical reaction. And so maybe there's good news for you today, and I'm, I'm going off script here, but maybe there's good news for you today if 
you're somebody who doesn't quite understand God, who doesn't quite get it, doesn't quite have all their doctrines lined up in a row, but who desperately wants it to be true. Maybe there's good news for you. you know, Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes, the same Sermon on the Mount, a few chapters earlier. He talks about blessed are you, or happy are you, joyful are you, you'll be rewarded, you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want it, but happy you will be if you want it. And, ju- and just before I move on to the practices, just to say, I, th- I think this is why Jesus uses the image of this tree. You know, the tree is significant because if you think about a tree and the, a tree producing fruit, the fruit does not come from the willpower of the tree. The tree does not sort of plant itself and say, oh, come on, come on fruit, come on fruit. And what the tree does is just bed itself down in the ground. The roots go deep, it sucks up water, it takes in CO2, takes in light, and the fruit comes naturally of that. We want to be a people who, what Augustine is saying is, if you desire God, if you live for that end, everything else will take care of itself. Right, our hearts will be satisfied if they find their satisfaction in you, God, is what he's saying. The fruit will come. If you pursue God, Augustine is saying, if you want God and if you build your life around wanting God, you will be a person of peace. You will every day be becoming a more loving, kinder, gentler person. Every day um, be dealing with those dark places of your heart. Every day be becoming a person of deep integrity and truth. The fruit is not what causes the tree to be healthy. The fruit is a result of the tree being healthy, of living for the right things, of striving after the right things. And it's this point that brings us very close to this idea of practices and why practices are significant. So I'm just going to spend, I don't know, about five, six minutes talking about practices and um, then we will um, praise some more. When Johnny came to Nottingham, um, to be uh, leading this church with Amy, he had this really clear sense that um, one of the things that God, amidst lots of other things, but one of the things that God was calling us to was um, to be reminded of a passage in Jeremiah in the Old Testament where God is speaking to his people, the Israelites, and he's calling them back to a way of life that looks more like a tree bearing good fruit than a tree bearing bad fruit. If you like, they had taken the broad path. They were following a path, being drawn along a path which wasn't good, and God was calling them back. And what's interesting about that passage in Jeremiah chapter 6 is that God uses this language. This is where he says, he says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And so when Jesus stands on the mountain thousands of years later, and he says to his disciples, there are two paths. Um, for them who knew the scriptures deeply, they would have been like, oh, yes. We were, this, this image is used in Jeremiah. This is God calling his people to a certain way of life, back to the ancient paths. So this idea of two paths is deeply ingrained in their psyche. Uh, and that, that passage was significant to us in all sorts of ways, but one of the words that jumped out was this word ancient. God says, you know, don't look for a new path. Um, this isn't so much about a new beginning. Um, this is about a new beginning in an ancient way. This is about you reclaiming something that was always true. It's like God was saying, there is this way, this way that is good to walk in. And people have walked in it for hundreds of thousands of years. Your ancestors walked in it. Moses, Abraham, they walked in this way. And you need to refine that ancient path. And that word ancient there is this word olam. Olam in the Hebrew. Can everybody say olam? Olam, good. 
And uh, the, the word olam, it means kind of old, but it means more than that. Really what it means is like eternal or almost like outside of time. It's like God is saying there is this path that I'm inviting you to walk, walk on. You've been going one way, but I'm inviting you to walk back on this other path, this, olam, this path of olam, this ancient path. There's like an eternal path. There's got actually very little to do with what's going on in the world, what the latest cultural understanding of anything is, what the latest book is saying, what media is saying. Or what I invite you to is something which transcends all of that, a way of being human that was true from the beginning and will be true for all eternity. And there's a sense in the scriptures that what Jesus was doing was coming to bring to life again that ancient path. And so part of what we wanted to do at Trinity is to find a way of us as a community in the 21st century, in 2016-17, of living a way of life, developing a way of life that was ancient, that was eternal, that, that dug us deeper into this way of being human. And so we developed these three practices and we put them on this little card. And the three practices were we say a psalm in the morning, um, at the, in midday our alarms go off and Wherever we are, we try and say the Lord's Prayer, either together or on our own. And then in the evening, we say the short prayer of reflection on the day called the Examine. And if you want to find out any more about any of those three things, then do feel free to come and talk to any of us. We'd love to chat to you about that. But what we sort of realized was what this ancient path is about is about living on a path which has God at the end of it. That's what it means to be on the ancient path, is to be living a path unlike any other path which lives for um, any other end, any other goal, any other ambition, any other hope. This ancient path has at the end of it God. And what we know of Moses and Abraham and these great characters of the Old Testament and what we know about Jesus himself was that they lived the ancient path because they lived a life that was for God. That's what it meant to be on the ancient path. And through the years, Christians have developed these practices, these habits, if you like, that have kept them on that path. They're not the path itself, but they're a way of staying on that path. And so practices are these um, repeated, habitual things that we do that over time begin to shape us. Uh, and what I want to say is um, that practices do two things. And the reason we're pursuing these practices is for two reasons. The first is that we need practices to show us the habits or the grooves in our life that are leading us away from rather than towards God. I said earlier that our culture is very, very good at captivating our hearts, you know, from car adverts to the Apple store or whatever. And, and some of those are quite obvious and some of those are um, not all that significant, but some of those actually are deeply, deeply significant. I think about shopping, for example. Right, so when I was a kid, I used to hang around in a shopping center and I didn't kind of realize the significance of that at the time. But when I look back now, I just, how significant is that, that uh, as a 14-year-old boy, the place that I choose to spend time was a shopping center in the middle of all of the um, buying and selling that went on. And at some point in our culture, um, shopping moved from being like a, um, a, a transactional thing, something that you did um, that was about the buying and selling of goods. I have money, you have a good, I'll give you money and get that thing. It moved from being that simple, I need some new shoes, so I'll go and buy some new shoes, to being entertainment, right? something that we did for fun. Something, if you like, like all entertainment that brings, that fulfills something in us, that satisfies something in us. That's what shopping became. And so shopping malls and um, retailers know this deeply, that what we desire is to shop, and they're trying to 
constantly find ways, new imaginative ways of turning us into, if you like, consumers, people who consume stuff and therefore want more stuff. If only we could have this thing, we'd be happy, etc., etc. As a 14-year-old boy, what I hadn't realized was that I was being shaped to, to be a certain person, to want certain things. I, ha I just hadn't realized that. And um, if you like, it's a bit like, you know, you have a, if you um, do any woodwork, you have like a piece of wood and um, you, you kind of chip away at the piece of wood. You, you make a mark on it with a chisel. And at first it just makes a little skim across just a mark, like a scuff. But then if you keep doing it, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's a little bit like these habitual things that the more and more we do them, the more and more we go to the shopping center, um, the more and more we'll become the type of people who consume. Like that's, what it, that's what our lives will become. And before we know it, um, those kind of repeated actions become grooves. And you know when you're in a groove, sort of you're, you're stuck in this one way of being. You're kind of going on the straight path. And um, it's this vision, again, of working, living towards, living in movement towards an end. And the grooves that we shape mean that we're stuck uh, within these certain patterns of behavior that mean we're moving in a certain direction. By spending lots of time in shopping, what I hadn't realized was um, that my life was in a groove. You know, and, and, and it, was, it shaped my heart. And I was moving on this groove. And one of the things that these practices do, be it the Psalms or the Lord's Prayer or the Examine, is just reveal to us some of the grooves that we're in. Some of the habits or the patterns of life that are leading us on a certain path. And they might be things like shopping. You know, they might be consumed. We might, might just realize that tru deeply, truly about ourselves is that we want things more than we want God. Um, it, it might be to do with family. Family might be a groove for us. Um, it might be something to do with what we're watching on TV. You know, if you, if you watch um, Celebrity Love Island or uh, Love Island, whatever it's called, if you watch that again and again and again, over time, you'll, you'll begin to think that this is what it is to be human. This is, this is what humanity is like. And if only I could look like that or have that thing that they have, um, then I'll be happy. That's the groove that we're living in. So one of the things that the practices do is just show up. Show up these other habits, these other grooves that we've got ourselves into. But the other thing that these practices do is repeatedly daily put us in the presence of God. You know, by reading the psalm or saying the Lord's Prayer or um, doing the exam at night, what we find is that we're putting ourselves in a position, we're putting ourselves close to God. Right, I come back again to that image of the magnets. What the metal needs to do is simply get close to the magnet and it will go. Right, and, and over time, it's, if you think about it, it's a bit like a compass. Um, you know, and a, a compass every now and again just needs um, reorienting, needs sort of realigning because it's just got out of, and it, it thinks that its true north is elsewhere. And, and if you like, the practices are ways of us just reorientating our, our desires, our loves, and just, just fixing our eyes back on him, remembering that he is the thing that we live for. And, and the Psalms give us these beautiful words, these images of God that captivate not just our mind but our heart. And so what I want to suggest this morning is if we are not so much what we think but what we love, then practices are simply the way that we change our heart, that our hearts are changed. And it starts by putting ourselves into the presence of God, by being captivated by a vision of who he is and being drawn to him. 
So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these practices. Next week, I'm incredibly excited that Josie is going to come and speak to us about the Lord's Prayer. Um, and then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about the Psalms, and we'll go from there to find out what does it look like to live this ancient path, this Olam path. I'm just going to uh, invite the band up uh, to come and play. Why don't you stand with me? Um, and as we stand, uh, if, if you feel like putting your hands out just as a posture of openness to God, um, to receive from him, it's become our practice, if you like, one of the things that we do repeatedly, habitually in this church, is we gather every Sunday um, together, not because necessarily we feel like doing it, but because we know that it's a good place to be. It's good soil to plant our roots. And uh, we expect to hear from God. We expect for him to speak to us. And we expect for him to change our hearts. And um, one, of the, one of the things we do repeatedly at the end of each um, sermon is we just give time for God to speak because ultimately it's not me speaking, but it's him speaking um, that matters most. And so just as a way of noting that reception from God, just waiting to hear from him, to, um, for him to show us what it is our hearts desire and to have our hearts realigned to him. I think one of the things I was... And thinking this morning as well was, I realized, you know, we are what we love, but actually in a funny sort of way, also we are what we let love us. And I feel that for some of us here today, um, there might be a sense in which we have allowed other things to love us. We have gone to other places to seek love. For Augustine, it was um, in sex. Um, for some of us, it might be in family. It might be in financial security. Um, it might be in certain habits and patterns or addictions. We've gone, we feel that if we go to those places, they'll just give us a bit of love just to get us through the day. And I had this sense that what God wants to do is, is love us. And we need to put ourselves in a position where we allow him to love us and to therefore be drawn to him, to allow him to change us. Amen.